Lewis uh, began fighting it had been relatively obscure, numerically quite rare, and, as it was discovered somewhat later, hereditary, which tells you that there is a way to wipe it out. Anyway, a few days later, the Muscular Dystrophy Association announced Jerry Lewis was stepping down as chairman and would not be hosting the telethon and would not be singing, never walk alone. And... um, the telethon went on the air last year and the now this is what we haven't discussed yet on this broadcast the uh, charity announced that they'd made as much money last year without jerry in a shorter telethon as they did the year before with him now today roger friedman on his web, uh, website showbiz 411 reports that wasn't true the uh, charity was only able to collect 31 million of its much publicized 61 million, about half. Now he says, he goes on to say something I didn't know, maybe you didn't know. According to muscular dystrophy, the tote board total never was what it actually raised. So that uh, in 2010, MDA crowed about 58 million at the end of the telethon, 48 million came in. In 2009, the shortfall was about $15 million. So they, the tote board was never, anyway, you, you get that. But what nobody's reporting on is what happened. Why the guy who built this obscure thing, charity, into a multi-billion dollar operation was uh, suddenly tossed to the curb unceremoniously. And, and there was even... I don't know if I mentioned this last year, uh, a great deal of debate backstage as to whether to mention Jerry at all or to pay tribute to him on the rump telethon they held last year. So my point is simply this. There are a lot of so-called entertainment reporters buzzing around Hollywood looking for the next drop of public relations nectar doled out by the publicity machine. Um, Might one of them be curious enough Uh, to find out what happened. There was an article in Time Magazine a couple of weeks ago that uh, said, well, we called Jerry, he had no comment, and we called the MDA, and they had no comment. Which is, uh, well, I guess the fairest way of describing that is to phone call journalism. So is there anybody in Hollywood or around the entertainment business who who, uh, has the endurance to make more than two calls to find out why this happened? What, what What could he have done Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, one can speculate, one can sus- suspect, but what could he have done to get tossed to the curb that way by the organization he, uh, uh, whether you liked it or not, put on the map? We'll, we'll await further developments from the Hollywood journalism community. Hello, welcome to the show. If you see me walking down the street, and I start to cry each time we meet. Walk on by. Walk on by. From London, England, home of the Paralympics, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition, edition of the show. I never heard the castanet on that recording before, but that's what happens when you wear big clunky headphones on your head. On your head. Ain't it? 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to read the trades for you. From current trade magazine of public broadcasting, insistent sponsors put newsrooms on alert. What? Don't worry, I'll read it for you. Underwriters of public radio programs increasingly want to link their names more closely to particular stories and reporting projects, according to station executives. A trend that is requiring journalists to be more vigilant in fighting perceptions of potential conflicts of interest.